Welcome to the Maximus Podcast with your hosts, Joe Sabula and Bobby Maximus. Today's episode is sponsored by 10,000, T-E-N-T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D.cc. Using the code Maximus15 for some good athletic gear. Also, Lalo Tactical, L-A-L-O.com. Use the code Maximus50 for a discount on Maximus shoes. We could not be more than Jay Feruza, the man, on the show today. Um, Jay, uh, straight up, you're someone who is on our Mount Rushmore trainers. One of the greatest of all time and somebody that we have learned a ton. So welcome and thank you for your time. Wow. Thank you so much. I am honored. I'm going to the fanboy story that you don't know about when you invited me to be I was a nervous wreck because you're someone I've wanted to meet my whole career uh stuff I did at Jim Jones stuff that I've done on my own it's pretty much a lot of it's been stolen from just straight up a lot of people talk about the warehouse gym the flipping tires the chains you were doing that shit when I was not even weights get enough credit wide for being the man in that regard. So it was really exciting for me to go. So I got in the Uber, I showed up early and then I realized I was at your motherfucking house. So I spent an hour just pacing your lobby, nervous as shit that I got invited to your house. So that's kind of, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I, I played it kind of cool when I got up to your apartment, but I, yeah. I was pretty excited. So, um, that's tell awesome. us that, a little bit. Time. That, that was, that was such a great uh, day that you hung out. I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was, it, it was a blast. So tell us a little bit about you, who you are, what you've done in the training industry for people that don't know. Yeah. So I grew up, um, we're, we're close in age. I'm a few years older than you, but you know, I grew up kind of like you watching wrestling every Saturday morning, uh, watching Stallone, Schwarzenegger on the big screen, that kind of obsessed with superheroes. So I always wanted to be this larger than life kind of figure, you know, but I was, I was, I was a little fat kid. And then I was a skinny fat kid and then I was just skinny. And that was, I started training in, in seventh grade and uh, my, my cousin Christine started dating a professional wrestler. He wasn't um, with WWE, but he was like a smaller uh, federation. So I had this professional wrestler who was like your size, right? He was like six, four, like 240 or something, 250. And I was just a little kid. I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. So I started training, but I really got nowhere. So at, after doing that from seventh grade all the way to senior year of high school, I graduated. I was six foot, 147 pounds. And I was like, man, I got to try to dig a little deeper to figure something out here, figure out what's working. So then I just did a deep dive on like learning everything I could, you know, before the internet was even around, you could uh, order books from the back of Iron Man, uh, Iron Man magazine and stuff like that. So I just started ordering all kinds of books and interning at the weight room in school. And it, you know, it just became my obsession. And, um, trying to think. And then, and then when I was away at school, I got sick. I actually got tuberculosis. I don't know if, it, if you know this, or we have discussed this. I got tuberculosis, uh, sophomore, junior year. And, uh, I almost died. I was, it was funny. I was home for Christmas break and I was training and I was like, man, I'm getting so winded. My, my cardio is terrible. I would do like five reps and I was totally gassed. And then I kept going to the gym though, just plowing through. And I was like, all right, I guess I must have the flu or something. So I called the doctor to, to go in and he's like, oh, we're so booked. Uh, let me just give you like a Z pack or something like that. So I take that for a few days. I go back to the gym and I'm like, something's not right. I feel like I'm going to die. So I finally get in to see the doctor. He's like, oh my God, you got to go to a heart, lung, uh, heart and lung specialist. I get there. He goes, you got to go to the hospital immediately. I got to perform surgery on you. If you came tomorrow, your lungs would have filled up and you would have drowned and died. 
So I go there and he takes this huge, it felt like, like one of those uh, long spikes that they hammer railroad ties in. And he was just hammering into my back and I had to be upright. So I'll take these painkillers and I'm just upright for it, like delirious. And he drains, it looked like a, like a quart of like um, scotch out of my lungs. Oh. And then, so I was just crushed after that. And by that time I had gotten up to like 180 pounds or something. And I lost all that weight going home and just sitting in the, um, sitting in bed for like three months. It was funny, Bobby, you'll appreciate this. Like three days later I had tickets for wrestling at the Meadowlands and it was British Bulldog versus Bret Hart. And I was like, I can't go to that. He's like, no, you're on bed rest for three months. And I was so upset about that. <laughs> but, uh, I remember just, you know, sitting there for three months and that was when I got my first uh, certifications and I'm ordering all these VHS tapes because I literally couldn't leave the house, which is similar to now, oddly enough. But and then I was just reading and studying and started training people that summer when I was 19. By the end of the summer, I don't even know how, I was on pace to make six figures as a kid in school and I didn't know anything about business. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going on, but it was just blowing up super fast. So uh, I transferred home to Seton Hall and just started building the business. And that was kind of like the early days of just training people at their houses and whatnot. And then eventually saving up every dollar so that I could rent what was literally underground. It was in a basement, a thousand square feet in the basement and kind of make that one of the original underground hardcore kind of gyms. And every single month I would, every, I would just pay for food and pay for equipment. And we would just slowly add equipment over time. And, and then, um, you know, and then, then that's just how the business took off at the beginning. Eventually, a couple of years into it, I got my first athlete, whose name is Mike Schwab. And uh, Mike's, you know, uh, shit, he's got to be close to 40 at, at this point. But he was like 13 when I started training him. He referred me a bunch of athletes. And then that was it. And I was training tons of athletes every day after school, uh, college guys and pro guys. So that was kind of like the early days to start. What were your earliest influences you, in? I mean, you're, you're, you're buying books off the back of a magazine. So, I mean, you're, you're kind of judging a book by its cover. What ended up being the ones that, that stuck with you that really, that I guess are, are relevant to what you're doing today? Well, I, I, you know, I guess back in those days, you could only really get, it seemed like the only training information was like flex and muscle and fitness mm -hmm. and uh, Iron, Iron Man and all that kind of stuff. So, 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 so some of the books in the back of Iron Man, we're very different than that kind of flex wheeler, Lee Labrada type stuff that we were getting every week. And I was like, Oh man, even just from like a little ads, you can see that it was super different. It was stuff mm -hmm. like Randall J. Strauss and stuff, super squats, you know, the 20 rock squat programs and John McCallum and stuff from the seventies. And then eventually stuff, you know, uh, Larry Scott and Vince Taranda. So I was, I was like getting enthralled reading all this old stuff. And then I just started to play with that and, you know, just the simple kind of full body, push pulls, 20 rep squat routines. And then that finally started making a difference because I had gone from, you know, doing buys on Monday and tries on Tuesday and shoulders on Wednesday. And uh, so all that stuff really made a big difference. So those were my early influences. And then eventually there was a, a guy called Bill Hinburn. Uh, I don't know if you, guys, if you guys remember that. He had a site. I can't remember. It was like old time strength or something like that. And during the infancy of the internet, you could order like Saxon and Hackenschmidt and uh, all these old courses from the 1900s, 1930s, 1950s. So I got all that kind of stuff. So then in 1996, a book called Dinosaur Training came out. Now, until that time, nobody was really doing sledgehammers and anvils and sandbags and all that kind of stuff. As soon as I read that book, I was like, oh, man, we went out and got all that stuff. We had kegs. I still remember my, my, my friend Joe Cuervo was uh, he I trained him. And he was, he became the, uh, the biggie stolen base leader. And then we became good friends afterwards. And one time we were just having a clean 
uh, a keg cleaning pro. We were super into when we first got the kegs. And uh, the keg had, like had a leak in it, and it was it wasn't really set up that well. We got it from a liquor store, and it was just leaking like beer flavored water into our mouth, and we're just blowing it out. And then I, I got let's say I got like twenty one reps, so he's trying to beat me. And on on nineteen, he loses his grip; it splits his eyebrow like Mick Foley or something, and he is just pouring blood on my gym floor. And he's like, "How many more I got?" And he fucking does three more to beat me. And then we go to the ER and stitch him up, and then we go back and finish another workout. It's crazy. But uh, so, so those were kind of like the early influences. And then down the road, I got into Westside and Louie, and that became like a really big influence for me. So how did you go from, yeah, you from, from reading and studying to actually wanting to train people? Like, was that an early goal of yours that you, you actually wanted to train? Like, how did that come about? No, I went into school wanting to uh, either direct films or get into broadcasting, like have a, a radio show or host mm-hmm. uh, like on ESPN or something like that which was weird because I was the most socially awkward, shy, introverted person in the world. So I don't know how I thought that was going to be possible. And, uh, and so, no, so I just got obsessed with training and then I just to learn more, I would Guinea pig, my brother, my brother's five years younger than me. So I remember my brother would be like, you know, in, in seventh and eighth grade. And then in high school, I'm waking him up like in 96, I'm waking him up to stuff carbo force down his throat every four hours. Cause we're doing like the Dan Duchesne body opus thing. I have him doing breathing squats, all this kind of stuff when he was like 11, 12, 13. So I was guinea pigging him. And then some of my other friends, my cousin Chip became another guinea pig. And I was just like, man, there's so much cool stuff. we got to try it. And I was like, I would love to have more people to try. So I was kind of training people for free, but they're all just like friends and family members. And then uh, I don't know how, I, I think it was just, it was just that when I was home sick that time, I was like, well, let me continue to learn. Then I was like, why not get a certification? And then that summer I just started training people. Wow. It's a small world, by the way. My degree is in film studies and media production, and now I'm a trainer. So, <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question about today. Uh, today, it seems like a hot thing to have a tire and a sledgehammer and a. What do you think when you see that? Because, like I said before, to start the podcast, you're one of the originators of that movement, and I think everyone associates it with CrossFit. But what are your thoughts on today and how that's? come about do you like seeing that or does it rub you the wrong way no i mean i don't really care i, I just think like you know if, if you had said to me back in 97 or 2003 there's going to be a day where every nike commercial and adidas commercial and every every single person on instagram is going to be doing this stuff one day i'd be like no possible way there's me and 10 other people that care about this like i don't think it's it's just some weird fringe thing the way wwe was like it's funny for me because you could relate to this probably like WWE wasn't a mainstream thing. Hip-hop wasn't a mainstream thing. This wasn't a mainstream thing. Now, all my three favorite things are all mainstream things. So I'm like, what can I do, do, do that's underground now again? But, uh, but no, I mean, it's like, it's, I think it's awesome. I think CrossFit's done you know, such a great job of, of getting people to want to train more. I just cringe when I see anything, any exercise done with horrific form. So I don't think anyone off the streets should be going in. Uh, and tire flips are one of the exercises you never see correctly. I remember C.J. Murphy... Uh, from Total Performance Sports in Boston was a competitive strongman. He taught me how to do it, which the way most people do it is they, they stand up straight and they just do a bicep curl and you tear your bicep. It's actually totally different than that. Uh, so Murph taught me that way back in probably 2003 or four. Um, so, you know, seeing any of this stuff and anything done horrifically incorrectly bothers me and anything done with no rhyme or reason or purpose bothers me, which Fair is enough. And- majority of training. 
Fair enough. And you do not have a gym anymore, do you? You do stuff online. We had it for 15 years. We moved here nine years ago. And for the first two years, I ran it across country, uh, which was a really bad idea. That didn't work at all. So I sold it to my brother. He changed it. He does his own thing. Uh, First two years we were here, we looked for a space for fairly proactively. And then just so much stuff was going on with with podcasts, online stuff, events, and that, that we don't really have time. Uh, now, prior to the whole Corona thing, I was looking for space pretty proactively again. Um, but since circumstances have changed, I might just get a house and get like a two or three car garage, garage gym and just do that. I don't know. But I, I definitely Fair want my own space. Fair enough. I was going to say for a guy who's built his whole life around fitness, I mean, if there's anyone I've met that's as passionate about the thing, is it, it's you. Did you find it hard not having a gym for a while? Did you feel empty? Like, did you feel like I'm just not complete? hundred percent. Yeah, it was the worst. Going to public gyms was was terrible. Because, you know, you get to control your own music, you control the environment, whatever. Um, so going to public gyms was, and still, quite frankly, is torturous. Uh, it's gotten better. But, yeah, it's definitely something missing. How? Sure. How are you dealing with this Corona stuff? Because I've seen a bunch of stuff you're doing on live. I mean, you're not letting yourself get unfit. I'll tell you that. You're doing a bunch of stuff. But do you feel cooped up or are you living life right now? Are you enjoying it? Now, here's what's weird. I I feel like this may be kind of politically incorrect to say this, but I'm always brutally honest. So aside from the fact that I do have a lot of sadness and empathy and feel for people who have lost their jobs and people who are sick, of course, that's horrible. Um, personally, I'm doing amazing. Like I could not be better physically, mentally, emotionally. I feel incredible. I'm in a great mood 24 hours a day, playing music, dancing around the place, working. I'm, I'm busier than could be. Uh, but no, I, I, I feel incredible. Uh, and I, I can't even explain why, I mean, you know, this might be a conversation for you and I off the air one day, but, um, because I feel like maybe you can relate to this. I grew up most of my life. I was very much like the character, uh, like Michael Clark Duncan's character in, um, in the green mob. So I felt the sadness and the pain and all the hurt in the world. And, uh, that, that held me back in so many ways. And there's a lot of things that go back to childhood and why that was. And then over time, I realized, well, that's not doing me any good. It's not doing anyone else any good. So I had to work on cultivating kind of this mindset where I was able to empathize and see that stuff, but keep moving, keep moving forward because I can't be the best friend. I can't be the best husband. I can't, you know, donate enough to charities, whatever it might be. I'm just sad and bummed out or angry, you know, watching the news, whatever that might be. So I'm aware of what's going on in the world. I empathize, but I just got to keep moving the best I can. So, and, and sometimes family members or friends will call me and cry about this. Oh, how long is this going to last? What do you think about this? I go, dude, I do not want to hear it. You can control three things, your words, your thoughts, your actions. That's it. Let's get it together. Let's soldier forward. What can we do now? What can we do? So there's maybe 10 minutes a day that I'll watch a recap. And then out of those 10 minutes, probably six minutes, I'll get a little bummed out. Like, oh my God, I'm not going to see any of my best friends for this many months. We can't go to concerts. And I'll be bummed out for six minutes a day. And that's it. Rest of the time, I'm, I'm moving forward. What, what could I do? Who could I help? How do we keep it going? You've lived, I mean, I, I shouldn't say you've lived a very fulfilling life because I'm not in your shoes. I don't know if you've accomplished everything you want to accomplish, but from the side and from the interaction I've had of you, you're living the dream. 
some of your childhood heroes in the WWE, you're doing what you love, like that's a passion for a living. You've lived a lot more life in your years on this earth than people have lived in 10 lifetimes. Do you feel that's helping you be more calm, comfortable, collected, staying at home? Like there's no reason to go out because you've done all the things? Yeah, probably. I mean, I hadn't thought about it that way until you said that. But, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and and I, I just think it's, you know, once you embark on a journey of however you want to phrase it, self-actualization or getting better or personal development or whatever, like I never thought about that until I was 34 or something, which is crazy. I just thought this is how we are. This is how my family is. And this is the path, you know. Uh, I never really thought that you could shape and reframe and change things. And so I worked really hard. So I, I think it's just, you know, kind of the mindset and the habits that I've worked on over the, you know, I don't know how many years that I, I, I can stay pretty positive, which is weird because I was always, and my family was glass half empty. So it was really hard for me to do that. So for now to be the guy that like the world's falling apart and I'm great, let's put on CCR or uh, whatever. And you know, <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, I think it's just, just work, you know, just daily work. Where you go now, one of the, one of the biggest things, and this may be unexpected for people, but I'm looking at the shelf behind you and I know a lot about your history. Something very special happened on Saturday and Sunday. It was a two day WrestleMania. Did you watch it? So my thoughts on that, and, and, and you understand my relationships with certain people, I can't say everything, but, uh, I wish they canceled WrestleMania, honestly. Okay. I didn't love it. Uh, I didn't love the plan going in. And again, I was talking to people behind the scenes, so I knew who thought what and this. Uh, I would have rather they just moved it forward. Who knows, right? I mean, if, if, if a whole lot of events end up getting canceled to the fall, then maybe I'll say, oh, that was the right move. They should have done it. You know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, but I thought there were some decent matches. I, I thought some of it was very bizarre. What did you think? What were your thoughts on it? Joe, were you a wrestling fan as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I thought, um, given the situation, I thought it was super that they did it. I was, I was yeah. glad that they did. It was surreal to watch, yeah. you know, um, especially the 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 match with uh, with Edge, where they were just all over the place. Like they weren't just in the ring, and like you could see the cameramen in the background, and it was like it, this is kind of weird, but like it's kind of okay too. Like I'd rather be watching this than not. So that's kind of where yeah, I was. Yeah, right. Once it came on, I was like, all right, cool. I had it on all Sunday. I didn't see all of it on Saturday. But, um, yeah. What did what, you think of – what would you guys both think of what they did with, uh, with Cena and Bray Wyatt? I – it was insane to me. Like it was, it was such, I don't know whether to say, hold on, I got a little one crawling all over me. What are you doing, boy? He, uh, by the way, I gotta, I gotta tell you this story about him quick, Jay. You, did you see the Ed, the match between Edge and Randy Orton? Yeah. So yesterday I walk in my living room. He's got the baby's head on a book and he's got a book in his hand. And he told me he's going to concerto the baby. <laughs> like, oh my God, so he, he is now on me. He's wrestling all the time, but he is, he is bad. Um, you know, I thought, I thought the John Cena Bray Wyatt thing was insane, but at the same time, I've never seen anything like it. And I don't think it could have had in a live format. There's no way. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think for me, yeah, it was entertaining for sure, but I also feel it was one of those things that I don't think ever would have come about without COVID-19. 
And I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. The other thing is that boneyard match between uh, Undertaker and AJ Styles. That's the best Undertaker's look in years. And it's yeah. because the way it was filmed and the, and yeah. the setting and stuff. And so I actually right. want to see more stuff like that come about in the future. What I did find bizarre was, uh, and, and he's a friend of mine, but Edge, Adam Copeland, this was a big deal for him to be back after he broke his neck, got his surgery. And the one thing I always imagined was the crowd pop when he showed up again. I felt so like bad. how incredible yeah, nine years. that would be. And then he comes out and his music starts. And, and I can picture, for example, 90,000 people in, in Toronto, you know, yeah. in a stadium like the Sky Dome going crazy. Totally. And there was nothing. It must have been incredibly hard as, a, as an athlete to do that without a crowd. I know. Yeah. Yeah, you got to give it to them. They, they all did a great job with no crowd yeah. there. I, I, I thought uh, uh, John and Kofi uh, and, and the Uso did a great job. That was an unbelievable match. Yep. I mean, it was, it was all good, but I also had a, a similar experience. I was on the Ultimate Fighter 2 reality show. And so I've had the experience of fighting in front of 25,000 people at the Mandalay Bay, I've also had the experience of fighting TV studio with nobody around. And it's oh. weird. It's like, so I kind of have a different perspective where I've got the utmost respect for the WWE guys of just, you know, going on with the show. And, and by the way, I haven't missed a WrestleMania in 36 years. No matter how poor we are growing up, like it didn't matter what we had, we managed to somehow scrape enough together to get the pay-per-view. Yeah. And watch yeah. the thing. So I was, I was kind of psyched it was there. How is it for you watching your friends compete in this stuff and watching, you know, athletes that you've trained on a bigger stage? Do you kind of, do you watch it? Do you not watch it? How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's, it's surreal because like you, I, I haven't missed it in 36 years and I, I wouldn't miss it either way. Now it's just very different, uh, especially watching, watching it with Jen. So Jen and I have been together for uh, 12 years now. And the first couple of years, I would just be watching wrestling. And I didn't really know, I don't think I really knew that many guys wrestling back then. So she would watch it here and there. But now she's way more into it because she sees our friends and people who are over and hanging out. She knows them personally. She'll call them by their real names. And she'll get pissed like, uh, like if there's something that's on that she and I don't think should be on and one or two of our friends maybe haven't gotten airtime in a few weeks, she'll be like, this jobber is getting on. Like she'll use like inside terms and stuff. Like she, I, I love it. I texted a few of my friends. Um, what did she say? Like she says pop now. She'll say cut a promo sometimes. She'll be like, oh, did you remember when you, when, when we got really, I forget what she said. Something the other day, she was telling me something about some weird guy approached Bronx on a walk when they were outside. And she was like, remember that time that guy did that and you got pissed and cut a promo on him? And I was like, so, but no, it, it's, it, it, it's, it, it, I'm still as into it as I was as a kid, but you watch it kind of differently because you're just pulling for your friends, you know, uh, you're getting pissed off if they don't get a push or, you know, they're used incorrectly. Uh, you don't want them to get hurt which is, is definitely a thing more so than it was years ago. You're always like, oh, like I wouldn't have cringed as much. I mean, sure, if someone takes a, a crazy dive or a chair shot, even if you don't know them, you kind of cringe a little bit. Now it's just a routine bump. You're like, oh, man, I hope he's all right. You know you're going to see the person midweek, so you're like, shit. But, um, yeah, no, it's cool. It, it's, real, it's funny because I never would have imagined this. 
you know, never having missed a, missed a WrestleMania, having all the action figures and all that stuff growing up, uh, being obsessed with it. You know, now, now it's surreal when I'm backstage, when I'm hanging out, when they're over, just hanging out for a party at my house, uh, when we're texting, you know, uh, when I'm, when I'm at the WWE Hall of Fame front row, that was crazy. We were there last year when that guy, we were front row when the guy jumped in and attacked Bret Hart. That was nuts. So all of that said, you've had some, some WWE people to your house. Um, I've seen them on the stories. I've seen stuff like that. And the new school people, what WWE superstar could knock at your door right now that would rattle your cage? Like if Hulk Hogan just knocked at your door and was like, Hey Jay, you want to like hang out? Would you just, cause I'll tell you if Hulk Hogan knocked at my door, I would melt into a puddle or if Bret Hart <laughs> melt, you know, came to my door, I would melt in a puddle. Who are those people for you? Sure. I guess any of those guys from when we were a kid, really. Uh, yeah. Brett. I mean, my, my favorite guys going back were Hulk Brett, Sean, I used to love the British Bulldogs. Uh, yeah, any of those guys when we were younger, that'd be, that'd be pretty nuts. Would you would you turn into a fanboy immediately with like the calm, cool, collected Jay Ferruja goal? No, I don't, I, for whatever reason, maybe just because I've been around them all so much, I don't think that would happen. Whereas maybe if Chuck D or Ice Cube showed up at the door, that might be a different story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or Giddy yeah. or somebody like that. That would be a that would yeah. be a tough one because I always think about that. I actually got to meet Hulk Hogan uh, at a Comic Con a while ago, and I could barely get a sentence out when I met the man because <laughs> it was just like it, it's kind of funny. If someone was to ask me who influenced me the most in training, I'd have to say Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. but Hulk Hogan has had such a remarkable influence on my life from just being a kid, saying the prayers, taking the vitamins, working out all the time. I probably watched the workout video with him and Mr. T on the beach 9 million times. It's got 10 million views on YouTube. I'm responsible for 9.9 of them. It's just such a different thing. Whereas today, uh, I, I love all the guys, but it's different than when, you, than when you're watching wrestling as a little kid. Like when you're an eight-year-old watching these bigger-than-life heroes, yeah. it's, a, it's a different thing, I think. What do you want to accomplish in the training industry now? Because it's, it's funny when I talk to you, um, you're somebody that Joe and I really, really look up to. You're a hero of ours. I, I want to have a career like yours one day, but you're not that much older than me. You've still got like a whole lifetime ahead of you. It's not like you're a 70-year-old man that does this stuff. Like you're a young guy. What, what do you want to do now? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I feel like I'm doing it and I just want to keep doing it at a higher level. Uh, like you said at the beginning, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I'm, I am pretty much living a dream. Like, you know, I, I often tell people it's a good practice to sit down and write out, have clarity, what you really want in life, what you want to be doing, what you want to achieve, what you want to accomplish. Uh, that's why, you know, maybe back to your earlier point about why I'm not freaking out so much about the whole COVID thing is, I feel like I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. Uh, I'm still doing it at a high level. I still wake up super excited every morning. I love to talk training. I love to discover new stuff. I love helping people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and then, you know, like I said, I, I did think eventually, I do think eventually I do want to own a gym again and have people coming in there. And I will be on the floor working with people 12, year, 12 hours a day. But uh, I do love something about creating that community. And, and that's the hardest thing for me 
about this is that I'm a very social person and people know me like Brandon Lilly calls me the nucleus who's brought so many people together. So many people in this industry and outside of this industry who know each other because of me. And that makes me really happy and proud because I, I knew nobody and I was super introverted and shy for 33 to 35 years of my life. So I worked really hard on that. And I just love bringing people together. Like I love getting a dozen of our friends together every Sunday for brunch and getting 10 people to go out to the comedy store and having people over here and training with friends. And that was what I love most about having the gym was, you know, the science of training and the PRs and people getting scholarships and, and all that and signing contracts is great. But I just love having eight to 12 to 30 people in there who are all family and you make it their third place like Starbucks. And that I do miss. So that's the, probably the one thing that's missing is eventually I do want to own a training facility again and create that third place and community. And, you know, the world's going to be very different going forward. Uh, but I'm going to adapt to that and figure it out. And, and it'll be a good time probably in six to 12 months to open something. So that's something I, I still want to do again. Like it, if you couldn't train ever again, what would you do? What's your dream? Like, would you be carrying records for Diddy? Would you be like, what would be your, because I know your love with New York hip hop. What would you do if you couldn't train? Uh, I, I love speaking on stage in front of an audience. And I especially love getting laughs in front of an audience. Uh, so probably like I was down, my most recent gig was the, the day that this, this all happened. I was down at spring training. The Minnesota Twins had hired, had hired me. So, I was doing a lot of stuff with them and the highlights were when I was doing like some comedy stuff and some improv stuff with them and just get, you know, cracking jokes. And, um, uh, I got, one of my assignments was to take all the strength and conditioning staff out and just kind of get them to know each other better and to loosen up. And we had the most fun. So I do love doing that. So I probably just really put all my time and effort into, you know, uh, performing and it would be, you know, some kind of a mix of personal development slash comedy slash a one man show, which is eventually something I'm going to be doing anyway. Cause I love being in front of people and doing that kind of stuff. Just having fun. Is that something you'd want to do live or could you yeah. do that on YouTube? Could you do it on Instagram yeah. or would the live thing have the feel to you? You got to get the pop of the crowd. It, you know, you feed off the energy of the crowd. So, uh, and, 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 and the bigger the crowd, too, like, I always hear people say it's hard to do stand-up or anything in front of a small audience. And now that I do a lot of speaking in front of people, I get it. Because at the Twins thing, some of the jokes that I, that I would normally do or whatever, in front of 13 people, they're not as great. And, and the next day, in front of 1,000, not 1,000, uh, 200 people, they were exponentially better. In front of 1,000 people, they're better just because the laughter is infectious and um, so yeah, I, I do like having the audience for sure. But I mean, in, you know, in the meantime, we're going to make do. So I'll, I'll do stuff on Zoom or whatever. Yeah, we've we've talked a lot about like what um, you know, what you do, what your goals are. What are your goals for yourself physically? I see you as a guy that just loves training for training. Kind of like you brush your teeth every day, you train every day. You just love being in the gym, working out. But do you have any physical goals for yourself? Is there a deadlift you want to hit? Is there something you want to do? Right now, so. I went from 147 to 230 and then I sat at 225 for, I don't know, maybe like eight years or something. And then when I was, when I was about to turn 40, I was like, well, I've always, not always, I was always skinny and fat and whatever, but like for as long, you know, recent memory, 10 years, I've always been kind of big and strong. And, you know, I, I benched 315 for 11, I squatted 315 for 20, uh, I pulled 585, uh, well, I, I don't know, whatever. So so I was kind of like big and strong for a while, but then I was like, I've never really had abs, never had visible abs. So I wanted visible abs for, the time, for my 40th birthday. So I got down from like two and a quarter 
to uh, probably 190-ish. And then I, I sat like at 188 to 192 for almost the last five years. And for whatever reason, shortly before this corona thing happened, I was like, and I do think it's, and you can probably relate to this too, it's inspirational if you're over 40 and you're lean and whatnot. So I, I like inspiring guys, you know, over 40 and whatnot to be in shape. Because a lot of guys, quite frankly, over 40, they give up. They haven't done anything since college or high school or tapping out. So I want to continue to be that inspiration. And I want to be a young 45, a young 50, whatever, you know, continue to get healthier, continue to be, you know, move well, be athletic, be strong. Uh, but now, I'd say a month before this happened, I was like, you know, I really haven't tried to gain any size. Remember I was talking to you about eating. I was like, man, I can't eat as much as I used to. Uh, but so I, I don't have a scale, but since this happened three weeks, three and a half weeks in the house, I feel like I, I probably gained, I mean like the pants I have. Uh, so I have a pair of uh, Lululemon pants that normally I would like the, like the, uh, the ABC pants. You could train in them, you got the dinner in them. And I love those pants. The other day I pulled them up and I couldn't get them all the way up my quads. So I've been training super hard at home and I've been eating like there's no tomorrow. So I've been trying to gain some size. So right now that's my short term goal. Obviously I don't want to become a fat mess, but I'm trying to gain, you know, at 45, see if I can gain 10 to 15 pounds and where I end up. So I have no idea how much I gain, but I know a lot of shirts and pants are getting tighter. So, so pretty, pretty damn incredible from 147 to 30. What are the challenges you're facing in terms of gaining weight when you were 28, 29, 30. What's the hardest 45? Is it the eating? Is it the intensity lifting the weights? Oh, Went to off because you can't do what you used to? No, I, I think it was just the eating. Because I'd been used to like eating super clean and staying lean for five years, I didn't really have the digestive capacity. So that was when I said to you, I was like, man, I can't eat. But I should have known you adapt to it and slowly over. So now it's been a month of me pushing the calories and now I'm not getting as bloated. Now when I'd be stuffed for four hours, like, okay, I'm starving again in two hours. So I'm just adapting and pushing. I really haven't tried to push calories and push carbs and whatnot, like I said, in five five years. So, But now, like, I'm starving. I'm, I'm eating. God, I've got to be at, like, 350, 400 grams of carbs a day, and I'm starving now. Uh, so that's where I'm at. So we'll Good. Are, you having a hard, are you having a hard time doing – I mean, like, what kind of movements are you doing in your apartment then to try and put on mass? By the way, this is a question I'm getting all the time. I'm just lucky. I have a, I don't know if you could see, but I've got a whole garage gym. I've got a whole setup here. So I'm in, in heaven. But are you just doing a fuck ton of push-ups? Or do you got a bench in your apartment? Like, how are you dealing with that? Yeah, so at the beginning... I only had, uh, I had TRX straps that I could, and I don't even, I didn't even have, a, I have no idea how and where we lost our uh, doorway chin-up bar. So I can only hang the TRX straps through, like you close the door and not the TRX, the Jungle Gym XT. Uh, so I was able to do inverted rows and push-ups and like leg curls and stuff like that on there, but I can't do any kind of chins or anything. Uh, I can't do any kind of dips on those, but I was doing dips on stools and push-up variations and things like that. Then I was able to, I think I got the last pair of power blocks. So I got the power blocks up to 90s, and then I got a really good and amazing adjustable bench, like their highest end adjustable bench from uh, Rep Fitness, uh, which is great. It's, it's such a good bench. So now that I have that, I've been, I've been killing it. I've been doing, you know, all kinds of stuff, dumbbell presses, rows, uh, rear foot elevated split squats, uh, uh, I'll jam, hold my hold my uh, ankles and do like Nordic hand curls. 
uh, all kinds of stuff like that. So now I feel like I, I've been getting a ton of good, good work done. I mean, the only thing like, I'm missing is, you know, like, like I don't have a glued hand and buy a bar and stuff like that, but I'm getting a lot of great stuff in now. I, I feel great. Now, you're obviously educated, so you know the things to do. I don't think gear is essential for you. Yeah. But what kind of advice would you give somebody that's stuck at home right now in terms of how to start training when they don't have any knowledge? Because yeah. this got to be hard, right? Like, you're, you're sitting at home, and normally you'd require uh, a trainer. You'd require equipment. You'd require a thing. Now you might have five months on your hands sitting at home. You want to get fit. But, like, how do you do that? You just start? Yeah. Um man, it, it is tough. You have to, you kind of have to just get innovative and, and use what you can, you know, use backpacks full of stuff. It's legs and, and upper body pushing. You can always do something. There's a way you can figure out how to do all kinds of push up variations and you can make them hard enough. You know, if you elevate your feet, you, you maybe have a partner, put some pressure on your back. You know, you can do one arm variation. You can do all Superman pushups, Spider-Man pushups, a lot of push up variations. Uh, and, and legs also, like you can do single leg box squats, single leg squats, skater squats, rear foot elevated split squats, uh, lunges, walking lunges. All those are great. Upper body pulling is the hardest. And if you don't have that and, and you only do all that stuff, your shoulders are going to kill. Like someone the other day was like, yeah, hey, I'm just doing 300 pushups today. I was like, okay, well, are you doing any face pulls or band pull parts or anything? They're like, no. I was like, your shoulders are going to kill. And he's like, oh, my shoulders already kill. I said, okay, so you got to do some kind of pulling. So... Even if you like, even if all TRX and rings and everything are sold out, you can MacGyver something. Like I found these straps at the hardware store. I, I don't know what they're used for, but they have loops in them. So you can use that. You need something to pull up on. And in the meantime, if you don't have that, just do some like rear delt upper, upper back work with heavy bottles. Uh, not heavy bottles, like as heavy as bottles you can get. It might be a couple pounds, but you know, lay, lay face down on the ground and do like YTWL and, um, uh, snow and prone snow angels, stuff like that, anything, but, but try to get something to pull Like our friend Ben Bruno had a, had a video where he, where he took like a, like a heavy duty dowel and put it between two chairs. He could pull up and do inverted rows and pull-ups on. That'd be a good idea. Uh, yeah. And, j and just get as innovative as you can. So now moving, moving away from the actual training, the, the kind of final question I want to ask is from a guy who's seen it all, how do you, imagine this COVID stuff changing the business or the industry? Every business is going to be impacted in that. It's kind of like, you know, when someone says, oh, I can't stop eating sugar. And then if you put them on a paleo or keto plan or whatever, 30 days later, they have no more desire for sugar. So unfortunately, but this is not going to be the end of the world. People will figure out how to adapt. What's going to happen is a lot of people right now, three to four weeks into it are saying, you know what? I don't need to spend five bucks for coffee every morning. I can make coffee at home. I don't need to spend 300 bucks a month getting my nails, my hair, a massage, this, that, and the other thing. I can do that. I don't need to spend that much on a gym membership because now, I've, especially if you've invested, like a lot of people who've invested 500 to $2,500 in home gym stuff, they're going to be like, that's a five-year gym membership. Why am I going to go back? So unfortunately, a lot of businesses like that will probably end up getting hurt and people won't be able to see it. A percentage. I don't know what the percentage is, but there's going to be a small percentage of people who don't return to some of those things. And for fitness specifically, some people will stay home. Some people will just be fearful to do what they used to do. They'll be like, oh, the gym's a hotbed for germs. I'm not going out to crowded things anymore. And that'll last for six to 24 months, probably. So 
I think personal one-on-one training will, will make a huge comeback where people would rather do that, have a personal trainer come to their house or maybe go to a private studio where there's only one person in there. Uh, things like that would probably be more popular, which that really never went away. People used to think that went away. It was all groups and it's all semi-private, uh, which by the way, I was the first person ever known to do that. <laughs> uh, but so, so people would, would be like, they would be bewildered when I said, oh, I don't think that group training or semi-private is the right thing for everybody because they're like, but I thought you were one of the first people ever to do that. I was like, yeah, but there's always going to be a small percentage of people. And that's what I hope a lot of people know now, regardless of the economy, regardless of what happens in life, there will always be money. Like the money's still there. The money didn't just get whisked out to sea. The money is still there. It's in somebody's pocket. So somebody will always be able to spend money uh, on a high-end service. And there's three businesses and kind of skills that are recession proof. So no matter what happens, people will always want and will invest in and pay for how to build a better body, how to make more money and how to have better relationships. That might be guys paying to get laid, whatever it is, but those three things are recession proof. So if you do something in those three fields, you'll always be able to make money. Now you might have to get more innovative and figure it out. And even if you're in a different field, like let's say you're a writer and you're out of business now because Hollywood's or whatever, go to people who have those types of businesses, those three businesses, and how could you, maybe you could write copy for them. Maybe you, could, you, like, mm. maybe you could write outlines for their video, whatever it is. You got to get resourceful. You got to get innovative. Um, but I think people in fitness, if they're smart, if they're proactive, they'll survive. There's too many people sitting back right now. They're like, I'm going to wait this out. I'll see what happens. You cannot do that. You got to be working harder than ever. I've been busier than ever. I, I, at first, I was like, oh, this will be kind of cool. I'll catch up on some Netflix stuff. I haven't seen anything. I'm not saying that to like glorify it, like I'm Mr. Hustle, because I don't really like that. But I just haven't. Like I've seen a few things, but not anywhere near as much as I thought, because I'm, I'm just trying to work and then stay proactive. I've got a, I've got an important question for you, Jay. So um, from where you're sitting in your career, kind of on the top of, of the Mount Everest, as, as Bobby and I look up at you, as we as we respect you, what advice would you give, oh, I don't know, a couple of like 41-year-old guys who've got this podcast, they're kind of gym junkies. Like what advice would you give them through this era? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think you just got to stay positive, keep moving. Uh, who can you help? Who can you collaborate with? I always talk about the power of, building your relationships, having that network. So continually reaching out, you know, I, now I want to meet you in person, Joe, like I feel a vibe immediately. So, and if there's anything I can do for you, connect you with anybody, Bobby, obviously you, you know, that holds true. Uh, but I, I think, you know, people are like, Oh, I can't connect now. No, you can, you got to be connecting. You got to be letting people know who you are, adding value. Um, yeah. Just, just, just continue to be, to be proactive and, and then it just not, not give up. Too many people are giving up right now, for sure. Yeah, I feel that. So, so along those lines, you were talking about hustling during this time. And I'm, we're of the same opinion. We've done more podcasts. We're recording three or four podcasts a day right now. I'm writing. I'm getting stuff out. Like I'm trying to just do everything I can. My 11-year-old son actually asked me the other day, why I'm working so hard and I didn't think about my answer. And I go, cause we're not going to have a fucking house in two weeks. That's why you look shit. And he's <laughs> like, Whoa, what dad, are we in trouble? And I'm like, well, we might be if we stand still. Yeah. So what are some things you did, you'd advise? Um, I know Joe talks to a bunch of people from big box gyms and helps mentor them and stuff. If you're a trainer, that's only ever trained people one-on-one 
and you can't do that for five months, what steps do you need to take right now to build your business? Is it start a YouTube, get on Instagram? Because it's not that easy, by the way, to just wake up and have yeah. 500,000 followers. Or, or to, so what, what would you do if you were sitting around and had to build your business from scratch? What would you be doing right now? Uh, the first thing I would do is look at who's doing it really well at a high level. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. I mean, success always leaves cues. So you got to spend some time. And, and, and people, I think, we're all guilty of it, but people waste too much time on Instagram and social media. Go on there with a goal in mind. All right, who's doing it really well at a, level, at a high level? Who could I follow? And, and replicate what they're doing. You know, there, there's, there's no sense in trying to make some shit up now. And you got to be okay with... People don't put out content because they're scared people are going to judge them and maybe they're not. And I did that for years. Maybe I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not uh, ripped enough. I'm not jacked enough. Or they will think, and it's funny, Joe DeFranco and I talked about this when we were uh, on stage together in New York back in December. I made the mistake for so many years of putting out content for you and for Joe DeFranco and Eric Cressy and John Berardi, like, oh, look how smart I am. Or I can't put it out if I'm if it's questionable because those guys will judge me. Don't do that. That we're not your audience. Your audience is the person walking down Main Street who, who barely knows how to do a push up correctly. So figure out who your audience is. Don't worry about getting judged. If you're worried about getting judged, well then then you have to be okay with losing your house in a month and being homeless. Like what what's more painful? People judging you and commenting or having to lose your house? You know, tell the kids that you're moving out. Uh, so you gotta be, yeah, I think you just gotta start cranking out content, but have a purpose because I know some people that are going the opposite. So they haven't given up, but they're just running around frantically doing shit. Take a notebook, block out some time, take an hour, go into a room alone and say, okay, what do I need to do? What is one way that I can make money? Not 17 ways. You gotta figure out one way that I can make money and all your efforts are going to drive towards that. Now, if you're a personal trainer, you probably only had the option of, uh, doing Zoom workouts, or depending where you are, I've seen people outside here training people outside. They're, they're, they're being respectful and, and, and being six feet away. Sometimes they're wearing masks. Uh, you know, that, that depends. That's your call and you, depending on where you're at. But that's something you could do. I, I do know a lot of trainers around the country who are still training people one-on-one -on -one in kind of a, you know, a modified situation. So you got to get pre proactive and, and just do stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I think eventually everyone... Here's the thing. Even if you plan to go online or not, everybody needs to develop communication skills. You need to learn how to read and you need to learn how to write and you need to learn how to speak. Uh, some, there's a famous quote about that. I, I, it escapes me at the moment, but you need to develop those two skills. So everybody, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a basketball coach, a trainer, a cook, you should write as a regular practice and you should learn to speak as a regular practice. And the, the more effectively you can do those two things, the better off you're going to be in life, no matter what. So take that time. Now we're at home. Okay. Can I order some, uh, DVDs or videos from Roger Love? Who's the world's greatest vocal coach. Can I get, um, woe is I and on writing and on writing well and study those kind of things, you know, get better at that practice writing practice putting content out like think about essential life skills that will help you regardless of the time the economy the business and work on those while you're home right now now when i was talking about my son i'm not going to lose my house in two weeks by the way but i tell him that because i want him to have the fear of god in him a little bit but i'm treating this with a sense of urgency 
Like, yeah. I don't know how long this thing's going to last. Yeah. I don't know if my gym's going to be shut down permanently. I don't know if people are coming back. I've got to do everything I can. I like that you said you're not sitting around watching Netflix, but there's a lot of stuff coming out of you don't have to develop a new skill. You don't have to learn anything. Just go with the flow to. and chill. I, I, but that's you, the, you don't you don't have to, but you ought to, right? Like, don't feel like you have to do this. Like, if you're sitting at home and you're like, I'm fine watching Netflix, fine, fuck you, watch Netflix. Yeah. But like, you, you should probably take advantage of this time because it's only going to help you in the long run. Yeah. I think that's hilarious. Who's, who's saying that? that? There's it's, a lot, lot of social media, yeah. The, the social media thing, there seems to be two camps. Camp one is, you know, Jay, I don't know if you realize that you're very, very Bedros in terms of like your attitude towards this whole thing. I don't know if you've seen a lot of Bedros's content lately, but he's like a dad. I was talking to me yesterday. <laughs> yeah, work like you've never worked before. Stop being so fucking lazy. Like, get off your ass. He was talking about he's not taking handouts from anybody. He's adapting his whole fit body boot camp thing and just go, 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 go. But then there's this backlash about no, don't feel guilty. You can hang out all day. It's okay to just wear your pajamas and do nothing. <laughs> don't put that pressure on yourself. And it's funny because some of the big companies are doing this. Like, yeah. for example, uh, some of the big box gyms are sticking their head in the sand. And just yeah. So I've, I've been, I've been training at a, at a big box gym. Uh, and this was all part of an idea. Like it, there were some opportunities there. I was working to get my foot in the door and they just like boarded up like you're done and put everybody on furlough. And so a lot of the folks that I work with, uh, are going back and forth about how do we get our unemployment checks? Like, I, you know, how are we going to survive? We should be open up in a month, you know, God willing. Uh, and I hope that's the case, especially for their sake. But it, from my point of view, it's like, no, I, I want when, when they call up, whether it's a month, two months or six months down the line, I want to have been doing something in the meantime. Yeah. So when they're like, Hey, why don't you come back to your, you know, basically your minimum wage job? I'm going to, why would I want to come back minimum wage? Like, this is what I've been doing during this time. Is there yeah. still that opportunity down the line or isn't there? And if I just sit back and, and try to collect unemployment and do nothing, I, like, I, I, I can't imagine a world where that's how I would want to respond to this thing. No, not at all. But I, I also think, Jay, that's the death bell in the big box gym model. Mm -hmm. Because I like, like, can you imagine, take it back to like 1998, can you can you imagine Gold's ever having to close up a hundred locations in states? Like it shocks me that Gold's have shut down, that bosses have shut down, that twenty four seven fitness is struggling. Like the amount that those places pay, people are starting to figure out that at home they can get you know internet resources. I think this might be the thing that finally takes the big box gym out of market. Yeah, and I certainly hope that that doesn't happen. I mean, I, I think. If you're a small business and you can afford to do that, I totally get if you can't, but I think you should continue to support your other small businesses. So I have most of the gyms around here let me train for free, but I pay for two of them. And I would, I wouldn't dream of calling and canceling as long as this goes on, just keep charging my credit card. There's other things that get charged. I wouldn't dream of canceling because I want to support other small businesses and businesses that are not in fitness. I'm still supporting and even though Jen loves to cook, we're probably ordering out more than we would. We normally order out once a week. We're trying to order out like three times a week now just to support local businesses. So if you can afford to do it, there's just some karma in that. And that's just kind of a universal principle. If, 
if you could always look outside yourself, you know, instead of just, I mean, of course it's a, it's a stressful time. So a lot of people are going to focus internally on like, fuck, how am I going to be okay? How am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? Sure. That's great. But you should focus externally too on how can I help other people uh, and how can I support other businesses? Cause that's, you know, just like I said, karmically that, that will come back to you in some way. No, I, I, I think you're bang on. I think the other thing too is people realize your favorite business might not be there if you don't support it. Like I'm paying dues at a jujitsu club simply because in five months or, or however this thing goes, I want there to be a jujitsu club. My favorite restaurant, yeah. I, I want to be able to go there in four months. Like it's not hurting me now to not go, but I, I don't think people realize the global impact of if we don't all band together and we stick together in this, all of the stuff that you loved might be gone. Like that little down, down the road in Santa Monica, like that little coffee shop you went to, that might not be there anymore. That might've been a really important part of you and Jen's life, for example, you know? Exactly. Yeah. That, that's why I'm trying to, you know, that if I have local businesses or friends that I know that might be struggling, I'm trying to, you know, uh, put up some of their stuff on my Instagram stories and, and whatever it might be just to help in some small way. Yeah. All right. This has been amazing. Uh, you're somebody we've wanted to talk to for a while. You're a hero of mine. Like I said, I ripped off a lot of stuff from you. So thank you for that. And thanks for leading the way in, in, the, in the fitness industry. For people that don't know you um, or for people that know you on a surface level, where can people find you and, and genuine information on you? Uh, you go to j.fit, J-A-Y.fit. We'll just redirect you to my, my main website. And then <clears throat> podcast is renegaderadiopodcast.com or it's on iTunes. Uh, and then on Instagram, I'm at jfugia. Love it. Thank you so much for being Thank on. You, we appreciate really, it. Really. Thanks, guys. Because you're the last of a dying breed.